the cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the green, green peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hi, everybody. It's Richard Zwicky here with The Green Peak. And joining us today for the second part of a two-parter is Hunter Land, who's Director of Cannabinoid Research at Canopy Growth. And uh, you know, last week in the segment, we were talking about a bit of the, the mystery soup of cannabinoids, but also the, uh, the challenges with standardization and the move towards quality. And we're going to get back to some of that over the next little bit. But Hunter, tell me a bit about you know the projects you've got underway right now at Canopy, because you know, a lot of the mid-sized can- cannabis companies, medical cannabis companies, have have dropped off of research because of economic constraints. But Canopy's in a in a in a different league, right, vis-a-vis the rest of the market. So, you know, yourselves and GW and a few others are still advancing. And what areas you're working on, and what are you, what what's underway? Well, you know, first I'd just say that I can't be more fortunate to, to have left one company with with funding to support strong research uh, at university mm-hmm. level and internally, and then I've gone to another one that does does the same thing. Uh, the amount of spend that goes into technology to conduct this research is significant, uh, and it gives me reassurance around the areas of safety. Um, but it also, on the scientific side, gives me the opportunity to explore uh, a lot of areas that have been unexplored to date. So I have a heavy interest in minor cannabinoids, uh, combination of cannabinoids, and then just general safety data. Recently, I've conducted some long-term toxicity and even lifelong toxicity data. Uh, currently submitted uh, that paper with my colleagues to uh, journal for a peer-reviewed journal, um, and hopefully that will be available in the next four to six weeks. And some of these things, you know, I feel are, are rather groundbreaking because it informs, you know, what what does it mean to have cumulative exposure for CBD, um, and also on the combination side, where do we see anti-inflammatory effects? What agent is actually doing that? What can be counterproductive? Um, where are we seeing improvements in all kinds of social and mood disorders and, and what can actually exacerbate those problems? So really giving a strong scientific basis based on you know everything from dosing. We're doing a lot of PK studies, so that's pharmacokinetics, showing what exactly gets in your blood, how long it lasts, how quickly it gets there, and how does it compare to something else per se. Uh, And then outcome measures, which we call pharmacodynamics. So really from my standpoint, being able to look at these things and know uh, in detail what what products are doing and how they could be used is a a huge win and certainly a huge area of interest for me. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, something you touched upon just there quickly was you know, sometimes the expected, but the unexpected effect of the combinations. And you were talking about the minor cannabinoids. And, you know, people talk about uh, CBG, which is, you know, less minor than some others, but THCV and CBDV and some some of the others. And they have an expectation of what it does. But what are you seeing as, you know, when you talk about unexpected effects, you know, what what specifically do you mean? And is it people shouldn't just assume because it has this in it, they're going to have uh, a particular result? Or is it that sometimes it's a bad result? 
Yeah, there can be results that I think are counterproductive. Um, for example, we know that the terpene myrcene, uh, which is associated with a, a now clinical term, except a clinical term, uh, couch lock. Um, and then you have things like alpha pinene um, that have been associated with improvement in memory and appear to be somewhat alertive. Uh, combining those in a product, um, you know, it just doesn't make sense. It's a lot like taking Ambien with Ritalin. Uh, <laughs> they have two different functionalities. So I would refer to something like that as, as non-tourage. Um, and then, you know, obviously there's good uh, data on isolated products. Most of the information we have to date in, in robust clinical trials is on, uh, you know, isolated CBD and isolated THC. Um, and, you know, currently as it stands, they're kind of the soloist, you know, of a, let's say a band. Uh, CBD could be the guitar solo or in an orchestra, the violin solo. Certainly you can have a lot of support from the band members, but they need to be playing the right instruments at the right tone, at the right volume. Um, and I think that's something that's uh, not yet elucidated. And certainly if you bring in your cowbell or your kazoo or something like that to your band, uh, it may not be warranted. So, Oh, no, no. You can never have enough cowbell. You can't go there. Yeah, you can't go there. <laughs> <laughs> no cowbell. Not enough cowbell. It's impossible. <laughs> that's right. That's right. More That's right. Um, you just touched upon something I was actually wanted to circle back to is um, the amount of time the different cannabinoids remain in the blood. And that keeps coming up. I had an interesting conversation with uh, a senior member of the Knesset over in Israel uh, just last week. And one of their concerns is uh, uh, driving and mm -hmm. the influence of cannabis. And they were talking about, you know, different testing uh, systems they could use. And I, you know, I kind of, I shied them away from trying to use anything dogmatically around that because there's too much variability. What are you seeing? Because, you know, people think, well, we can just test it and we'll know. But hmm. everything I've seen is, no, you just can't. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, usually the way that most of the um, pharmacokinetic studies have, have been run and the data that has then resulted from them, it, it shows that a lot of these cannabinoids are what I would say uh, two or three compartment um, models where you have, um, you have models in tissue and blood and, um, and, and organs, and they can uh, actually leach out at different times and exposure um, is one piece. Uh, so you can look at plasma and sometimes it's indicative of intoxication and sometimes it's not. Uh, the other component that's tricky is active metabolites. So uh, THC, for example, has what's thought to be a, a significantly more potent um, metabolite called 11-hydroxy-THC. And um, so if you, if you ingest uh, THC products, uh, you produce a lot more of this active metabolite. Not only do you get a different effect, but you also, because of the absorption through the GI, you get a longer duration, but a much shorter onset. So, um, you know, where you may have lower levels in the blood, it doesn't necessarily correlate to that, that uh, brain ratio and, uh, and certainly not into intoxication effects. So it's a, I would say, a very complicated thing to regulate. The compounds can appear in the blood for long after you're feeling or having any, any effect, which could um, pose an issue on the roads. But it's uh, how do you, you know, for most police officers or in individuals dealing with those, how do they know? 
And it's a, it's a tough one. We don't have any critical uh, metrics by which to judge. And uh, impairment becomes a subjective uh, factor, not an objective one. And that's always dangerous. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. It's, um, it, it, there's, to further complicate the matter, um, people respond differently. So um, it's not like we have a, a range where we know is intoxicating, which you know, has been relatively well established with alcohol. So depending on what's commonly referred to as endocannabinoid tone, um, you know, not only the prevalence or distribution of CB1 receptors, but, but also what pathways they're, they're located on. So um, that can change with use and certainly changes across individuals. Uh, you probably have known people that, you know, use a lot of cannabis and function quite well. And then other people that, you know, just, just a little bit of THC causes a terrible mm-hmm. biphasic effect and nausea and vomiting and paranoia. So uh, the, the levels um, don't necessarily correlate with uh, the effect in individuals. No, absolutely. And, you know, there's also the individuals, you know, a number of individuals I've encountered, they have one glass of wine and they have a, you know, a little bit of cannabis and they go off the deep end and a different person, that doesn't seem to have an effect. Right. Yeah, and so the triggers are interactions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so much to map, so much to map. Um, you know, in the minor cannabinoids, going back to that for a second, we'll we'll come back to it after the break. But you know, there's things that go into cancer treatment in terms of uh, helping people, causing them to have hunger so they eat more. Um, and then for people with anorexia, who uh, the same token, but then for people who are looking to lose weight, where it's an appetite suppressant, let's come back and take a li- little bit into that because uh, there's a lot of myth. And it would be great to dispel some of those. So coming back after the break, again with Hunter Land from uh, Canopy Growth. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take-anywhere treat. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. 
Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back with Hunterland from Canopy Research. And, you know, it's been it's been really interesting looking at the different aspects, Hunter. But w- one thing we really need to do is look at dispelling some of the myths more concretely. Because, you know, when I entered this industry uh, seven years ago or so now, looking at it, you know, I'd, I was aware of cannabis as a treatment for people with cancer. And then I discovered more about some neuropathy and some people with Parkinson's and epilepsy. And that's when I really got interested in it beyond being, uh, you know, it be, started becoming demystified for me. But there was so much that still um, surprises me and so much that I still have to learn on a continuous basis. But we see you know, information about people who, of course, with cancer, it helps people drive some appetite, which is necessary because most people going through treatments lose their appetite. And that, you know, is part of a downward spiral. But also there's people, of course, everybody knows, uh, you know, people who are, let's say, having a toke, they afterwards get the munchies. Isolating those compounds, which are useful for treating people with anorexia or other eating disorders are powerful, but less commonly there's some appetite suppressants. So people who are trying to lose weight can also take a cannabis uh, derivative or cannabis, uh, an isolated product. How well mapped are any of these? And how is there anything specific people should be looking for if they're trying to figure out what to do? And what's just yeah, pure think, myth that people should walk away from? Well, I don't think, I think one myth that you hear occasionally is, is cannabis or certain products um, are, solid treatments for cancer broadly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, there, even in medicine and modern medicine, there's not really, you know, uh, we have very focused treatments on the type of cancer and to the extent um, it, it exists in, in an individual. And then there even individual variability there. So I, I, I would say certainly the first part is um, cannabis. It's unlikely that cannabis alone is going to cure cancer broadly. There may be some areas of utility with specific cannabinoids or combinations and maybe even some of the terpenes. Uh, but again, that's something that needs to be examined. Uh, I've examined some of this and, and sometimes you see some effect and sometimes you don't. And sometimes these levels are so high, like in the case of THC, that it can uh, it, it would be what we would call super physiological. You wouldn't want to go to that level in the individual. Certainly uh, treatment for um, symptoms, like you mentioned, appetite, increase in appetite. We know THC, it's actually got a label approval uh, for um, cancer-induced nausea and vomiting. Uh, So I think that's that's well understood. Um, There's also a synthetic THC analog, sesamet, 
that that has that same uh, area of, of, of utility. Um, on the other side, you mentioned appetite suppression, and um, there was a drug that was approved. It was a, a originally thought to be a CB1 um, antagonist, so mm -hmm. the opposite effect of THC. And uh, unfortunately, it was later learned that it caused uh, an increase in suicidal risk or suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was pulled, and um, it was found that it wasn't actually an antagonist like we think THCV would be. It was an inverse agonist, so it's much more potent and actually worked differently than THCV. Um, I think there is um, potential to use something like a partial antagonist or a weak antagonist like THCV mm -hmm. for appetite suppression, but that's not been well understood. Um, and, and certainly like some of the acids, we know that uh, CBDA has been published before to be a, a potent anti-emetic. So much lower doses of the acid form of CBD may reduce nausea and vomiting. Uh, the problem is that the acids aren't stable. So if you buy CBDA on Monday, by Friday, you know you could get 50 or 80% reduction uh, natural decarboxylation to CBD. So until we figure out how to stabilize some of these acids, uh, some of the benefits, um, you know, are, are kind of moving targets. Uh, you don't know how to dose it. So I think the oncology space is, is an interesting but complicated space as applied to cannabinoids. Oh, it is. It, I mean, it's, it's an incredible um, space to apply it to. And, you know, actually what you just mentioned about THCV and ties back to the unexpected effect of combinations where it could be helpful and beneficial for some people with appetite suppression. But depending on the varietal of the plant it's derived from, there could be other compounds in there that unexpectedly have deleterious effects because of the combination um, and other treatments you're you're taking. So it's not, you know, it's not that geez, now everybody should run out and get THCV because there's other things out there that could have serious negatory effects in combination with it. Absolutely. And we just, we don't know, um, you know, a lot of people talk about cannabis being natural and they assume that things are natural or safe. And sometimes that it's the case, but there are things like cyanide that are also natural that aren't safe. Yeah. And, um, and mercury. Levels. And mercury, <laughs> right? There's, a, I guess, lightning's all natural, but, um, you know, I don't think that we want to, the levels of exposure, uh, cannabis has been used for a long time. Um, but up until recently, a lot of the levels that we're giving some of these cannabinoids have not been explored. So everything, even water at very high levels, can have a toxic or, or negative effect. So, um, you know, like with things like THCV, we don't know how much you should take. Should it be inhaled or ingested? Um, you know, what's the food effect? Does it in interact with other drugs? Those are questions that we still don't know. So even though, you know, I'm super excited about the basic science around it, um, I still wouldn't be able to speculate on how it should be used in humans and how effective it is. I think we'll get there, but uh, we're not there yet. No, we're not there. And, you know, you just made mention about water and I'll never forget there was a, uh, a water drinking contest. I can't remember it was Washington State or California during one of their summer fairs maybe 10, 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, contestants drank as much water as they could as quickly as possible. And the person who won the contest died minutes later because of the, the effect of too much water crashing their system. 
Yeah, I think you know, uh, encephalitis, you can certainly get inflammation of the lining of the brain, which mm-hmm. almost certainly re- result in death. And uh, unlike foods and everything, you don't you don't hit that uh, level so um, in the same way. So right to your point, everything can be dangerous at, at the wrong quantity. Exactly. And the wonderful thing here, though, is with the right quantity, there are so many things we can help treat and provide uh, relief to patients based on the cannabis plant. But it's not an exact science today, unfortunately. But we're getting, you know, every day we're taking a step forward, and that's a big part of the work you're doing. Yeah, I'm certainly excited to, to help the scientific community and ultimately uh, patients, whether it be around areas of wellness or um, just general safety or potential therapeutics. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, we're going to take a break again now. And I want to come back, like to talk a bit about uh, quality controls and general standards across the industry and the the need for that for true um, pharmaceutical adoption, but for doctors and patients, the benefit and also to the industry. So we'll be back in a moment with uh, for our final segment with Hunter Land, who's the Director of Cannabinoid Research at Canopy Growth. And of course, I'm Richard Zwicky. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. I'm your host, Dr. Dina. We've got David Faustino on the line, Bud Bundy from Married with Children. Did you feel nervous being a celebrity walking into a weed store? I don't remember it all being like, ooh, I'm scared someone's going to take my picture here. What are they going to say? Bud Bundy smokes Bud? I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be a big shocker. Hey, this is David Faustino, and I'm on Cannabis Confidential with my girl, Dr. Dina, on CannabisRadio.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put different celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is him pink, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint the business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back with Hunter Land from Canopy Research and uh, Canopy Growth, who's the Director of Research there. And, um, you know, in this final segment, Hunter, what I'd love to chat about is a bit of the standards and quality controls that are necessary for not just your work, but for everybody in the industry, on the medical side of the industry, uh, really pushing forward. And 
what that what's going to be required. Um, you know, there's going to be have to be some form of international standards around the compounds, but it goes beyond what varietals are being grown. It really has to deal with how we're using the composting how, and how we're applying them. Um, and then the quality, quality-wise, you know, I've had so many people say to me, well, I'm producing to an organic level, completely ignorant of the fact that true medical is much more stringent. That variation internationally must cause a lot of dilemmas for researchers like yourselves because nobody has standardized product from one lab to the other if they're sourcing them from different countries. How do you, how do you address that? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is we need truth in labeling, especially, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not only I, we mentioned contaminants earlier, but also cannabinoids. And the people, I think, should understand that just because you read one paper and one segment of research that says cannabis does this, that could be altogether very different. And that doesn't actually extrapolate well to other disease states. So I think, you know, first is some general education that it was. Uh, second, for researchers, we need to, you know, demonstrate exactly what we're using, you know, what level of THC, CBD, CBC, what other constituents are present. Um, and then we can start learning and developing hypotheses and testing them, whether it be preclinically on humans. So I think that's the first step um, is just making sure that we get to a consistent level um, of what we're taking. Uh, and then I also think that we should, you know, uh, if, if we're doing clinical trials or something, we need to take into account, um, you know, are people taking this in a fed state or a fasted state and try to get some consistency there so we can identify at least starting points for dosing. Um, because, you know, as you may know, uh, there is a tremendous food effect with many of the cannabinoids. So three to five fold different levels of exposure um, based on whether you're taking it with a high-fat meal or not. So if 10 milligrams of CBC, for example, is effective to treat this, uh, and that was given on an f- empty stomach, what happens when you know, my individual is you know, eating pizza before, and now they've got effectively 50 milligrams? Mm-hmm. So um, you know, these things complicate the research um, and potentially uh, utility for patients and certainly uptake by physicians because uh, we need to know how to dose these uh, products uh, appropriately. But, but that presumes a single molecule within the dosage, whereas sure. people are producing varietals that have great variability depending on the environment they're produced in, the climate, the topography, the soil, even the latitude. Um, how, you know, so the inputs that are coming in are going, you know, the, a plant that is grown in Canada inside one, let's say canopies facility is going to be completely different than the same varietal if I produced it in my facility in Colombia. But then, you know, we produce, we, we adhere to the, um, same standards, uh, or the required standards, let's say for, uh, purity that both Canada and Germany would require. But another producer down the road may not. And if you're dealing with source, and if researchers are dealing with source material in the two countries, even if they come from the same plant, the variability is going to be huge. How, how do you propose to address that? What do, what do you think is necessary? Because obviously, some level of quality control or standardization is necessary, just like it is for the dosage control delivery systems. The inputs themselves have to be somewhat standardized. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, the idea of using certain uh, names, usually kind of outlandish names to <laughs> describe certain varietals or chemovores, to me is um, it's not really that productive because as you mentioned, they can vary. Even if you take a cutting, um, it can vary from batch to batch significantly. So um, I, I feel like having at least at a minimum knowing not only you know how much THC and CBD are present, but these other compounds would be extraordinarily helpful. Um, and, and we can do this. We're capable of measuring it. I believe in, in Canada right now, the requirement is labeling requirement for THC and, and CBD only. I don't, uh, I don't believe right. there's a requirement for uh, terpenes or um, other cannabinoids, which you know, in itself would lend itself to a lot of different utilities. So mm-hmm. I think uh, that's a good starting point as for the complicated nature of, of different plants and what could be there that we don't even know is there. That's, um, that's something that just requires more research. Um, and I think it'll be a while before we get there. Oh, it will be. I mean, we're mapping. We built a software platform as part of our grow uh, that brings in all the environmental and climate data and everything about the cycle of the plant because we need to be able to understand what are the triggers what are the you know the annual differences during as the uh the sun moves across the sky how it varies just even the uh, inclination to the output mm-hmm. and you know as you said you can take a cutting it'll be completely different we see that from one growth cycle to the next depending on the cloud cover um, mm-hmm. even, you know, within the greenhouse, even though we'll use lights for the veg phase and everything else, there's still tremendous variability and mapping all of that. It's beyond, you know, it's not a, it's not a simple task. It really is big data applying into the inputs so that patients with the out, on the output can start having better information to understand wh- what's working and what's not. Um, but you know, on that, unfortunately, we're out of time for this segment. It's been uh, it's been great having you on, Hunter. It's uh, thanks to everybody for listening for the two parter. Um, Hunter, any last words you wanted to share with people with regards to you know um, controls or uh, quality standards? A myth you really would like people to uh, forget about quickly with regards to medical cannabis, and also if anybody wants to reach you for questions, how should they do so? Uh, well, thanks, Richard, for having me on. I, I think um, first I would say um, I think as consumers and certainly amongst the industry, we should start insisting on uh, on standards and requiring a certificate of analysis for products. I think that's the safest thing to do, and that's, I think, in the best interest of patients and as well as the industry. So that's the first thing. Um, as far as myths, I would, uh, any outlandish claims, anything about, you know, super crazy bioavailability or this is a cure-all, um, I think those those claims are risky. So I would be wary of any company that makes those those claims. Um, and oftentimes those aren't legal. So uh, yeah. that's kind of already a, a bad <laughs> actor, in my opinion. If they're willing to lie to that degree or, or speculate, then I, I don't trust that company. Um, yep. And as far as reaching me, um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, certainly could uh, reach out to me be, via email. Happy to happy to continue conversation. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us today, Hunter. And it's been uh, really interesting and educational. Thanks, thanks to everybody so for listening and uh, look forward to being back with you again next week. I'm Richard Zwicky and you've been listening to The Green Peak. Thank you. 
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.